Please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Chapter 11. You know, there is one thing, well, another thing that remains constant in life, and that is the enemy is a liar. And he loves to distort and change everything that is good, everything that is holy, everything that is right. And uh, I think he's kind of come out in full force recently. He used to uh, be a little more subtle, but not so much anymore. And uh, he does that by deception. And that's the title for this morning. He does that by deception. He will promise us things that he'll even deliver. But the end result of that is usually bondage in some way or another, some kind of captivity. So we have to be very, very careful about, I I guess I should say, very, very, very careful and very, very precise at being able to identify him and to identify what's going on. Because these days, we kind of feel like if, if, if my heart's telling me to do it, it must be right. No, not at all. In fact, if you go by the heart, most of the time you will be deceived. And I'm sure as we sit here this morning, there are some of you who would testify that maybe that's the way you used to live and now you're paying for it in long term because of letting the heart rule what you knew was right or wrong. And I do believe that we as Christians, we can be very, very susceptible to this. One of the things that uh, we can identify with is that Christians are as in debt as the world is. Um, we like sparkly, shiny things, right? And so if we can't afford them, we figure out a way to be able to afford them, even if that means selling one of the kids. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But we figure out a way to do it. You know, we figure out a way to shift the budget, change the things, do something in order that we might be able to do that. And if we can't afford it, we just we put it on the card right? We put it on the card and hope that that never catches up with us. But it does, doesn't it? And then pretty soon you're locked in so tight that you can't even go out for a pizza. You you know, you can't do much of anything. And the things that are most important, a lot of times we let those go to do the unimportant. So we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. And I hope that at the end of it, it will help us all be a little more alert and aware of his tactics and what he does and how he uses those things to keep us in one way or another in bondage under his power by some hook or cranny. It doesn't matter to him. He'll give us whatever he, we think we want at the time in order to pull that bill due when it's time. Okay, I'm going to start with a little bit of a recap from last week. That was the weapons of war when the Apostle Paul was teaching us how to um, live our lives without becoming carnal. Even when it comes to people being hurtful to us or doing things that 
They shouldn't do to us. And one of the scriptures there was 2 Corinthians 10, 4. It said, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but the mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. That's how we have to fight, guys. If we fight any other way, we're going to lose. We're going to lose that battle. He's been around a long time, and he knows our weaknesses. So we need to fight spiritually. But that verse does clarify three things, and it assumes three things. Number one, there is a war. That's extremely, extremely, extremely important, guys. And that's that you and I understand we are in a war. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you know, it's funny, because if you ask people, do you think that there's good and bad? Do you think there's good and evil? In most cases, they will probably say yes. But when you narrow that down to who those two forces are, they kind of, I don't, I don't want to pick, you know. I kind of want to live in this world and do that. I have to be uh, familiar with both, both of those. But Jesus tells us to be innocent concerning that evil. But it assumes that there's a war. So every single day, we should wake up knowing that we're dressing for battle. Now, I don't mean that you have to go get your coat of arms and put on the suit and the armor suit and the night suit and all that. But you do have to put on the armor of God. You do have to understand that there will be attacks in the day, that there will be temptations in the day, there will be opportunities to lie, cheat, and steal, and the determination that says, I'm not going to do that. With God's help, I'm not going to do that. With God's help, I'm going to do the things that he would want me to do in the way that he would want me to be able to do those. So number one, there is a war. Number two, we're not to fight it in the flesh. And as we talked about last week, man, that, that's, that's what we know, right? Since, uh, since we were old enough to communicate, old enough to walk, old enough to do just about anything, we knew how to get what we wanted. What does that little baby do when you bring him home? screams and yells and other things. I'll just leave that there. (laughs) But when he or she wants something, they let you know. So from almost day one, we learn that if we want something, if we yell loud enough, we can get it. Or if that doesn't work, then we resort to violence in one way or the other, whether it's verbal or whether it's physical or whether it's both, that's kind of where it ends up. But we're not supposed to fight that way. Jesus tells us that's a losing battle. And then number three, the Lord has given us the weapons that we need to be able to win this battle. Guys, I I couldn't stress it more, that it is more important. I couldn't say it in a different way that would make it more important than the fact that we need to know we were never meant to walk this walk without the Holy Spirit. We were never meant to walk it without Jesus. We can't fight that battle that way. Jesus has to be like a, you know, glued to us. We have to be glued to him, holding on to him all of the time in order to, to win this battle. Because there's going to be some things that come our way that are tough. I mean, they're just, they're really, really hard that we have to grow through those. And I don't know about you guys, I don't like to admit this, but I grow in pain. I don't grow on the mountaintop. And I think that even though we don't like to admit that, that's probably true for most, most of us. When you were raising your children, how did you, get, how did you get them to do what you wanted them to do? 
you had to set some restrictions, sometimes maybe a little pain. Well, God will allow that in our life because he knows that that's how we grow. That's how we learn. When we're on the mountaintop, we're too busy enjoying it, right? But it's in those times of trial, in those hardships, that's when we're crying out to God, God, I don't get this. Lord, I don't understand this. Lord, why would you allow this? All those questions that we need to be asking on a regular basis. Now, we're talking about this subject of deception, which is kind of a um, stepbrother, if you will, to what we've been talking about. And I found this. It says, we're lied to 10 to 200 times a day. We are lied to 10 to 200 times a day. And we tell a lie ourselves on the average of one to two times in that same period. So the average person lies at least, at an absolute minimum, at least two times a day. Now I know in your brain you're going, when did I lie last? <laughs> you know, when, when did, do I lie? Yes, we do. And it may seem minor. Even the statistics said most of them are little, what they would call little white lies. But if it's an untruth, it's an untruth. If it's a lie, it's a lie, even if we minimize it or marginalize it. But people lie to us from 10 to 200 times a day. But surely not Christians, right? Surely Christians don't lie, do they? Well, I'll leave that up to you, but let me give you Webster's definition of deceive. It says, to cause to accept as true or valid what is false or invalid. What is false or invalid? Maybe it's just not answering correctly when somebody asks you a question, point blank. If we could get to the place to where we're honest with ourselves, honest with the Lord, honest with our mates, it would change everything. It, you know why it would change everything? Because we'd be embarrassed. We would be embarrassed. Some things we'd be embarrassed to admit or say. So if we came clean on all those things, there'd be this open communication, and that would be a little bit of a buffer in us being careful about what we did, did or do or say because we would be accountable to someone. But let me take that a step higher. Aren't we really still accountable to the Lord with the things that we do and say? Okay. Willful intention by someone trying to deceive for selfish gain. Let me read it again. Willful intention by someone trying to deceive for selfish gain. Some jobs, some jobs even make you bend the truth. Let's, let's put it a gentle way. They make you bend the truth. You know, is this covered by warranty? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's all bumper to bumper. Well, how about all the stuff between the bumpers? You know, there's a lot of things maybe i mean it's not necessarily it's our fault if we continue on in it but it, but it's given to us by somebody else you either do this or you don't have a job 
You get those sales calls all the time. You get people who write emails, and maybe that's even part of our job, the marketing thing, where you're telling people, you know, if you've seen some of these ads, oh, this will solve the world's problems. This doctor has proven it. This doctor has proven it. It's being prescribed here. It's doing everything. This is a miracle drug. Click here if you want to know more. In other words, give us all your information so we can call you for the next two years or send you email for the next two years. We live in a world like that. And pulling ourselves away from that kind of world is a tough thing to do. I've shared with you guys in all the years I was in business and had a a guitar shop, I only had one guy that did this to me, and he... uh, he wrote me a check to pick up his guitar after I worked on it. And he wrote me a check and then he skipped town. He's just, just gone. But that's not uncommon, right? And we have the scammers that are always in the process of trying to get money out of someone. Now, so, there's that willful intent of someone trying to deceive on purpose, but there's also a deception by misconception. This is the one I think sometimes Christians fall into. The deception by misconception. You know what that is? Fooling ourselves. Fooling ourselves. Oh, this isn't going to matter. This banana split's not going to matter. This big old meal's not going to matter. This thing on my tax forms, it's, it's not going to matter. We tell ourselves this is not going to matter. Well, there are repercussions for the things that we do. So in other words, it is thinking something that is incorrect and therefore expecting something other than what it turns out to be. Let me say that again. (laughs) Yeah, yes, Lord. Thinking something that is incorrect Therefore, expecting the results to be something other than what they turn out to be. Sleeping around. Let's just pick one out of the world's population. Sleeping around. There's not going to be any results from that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are. There's going to be little babies popping up here and there. But the world's solution to that, let's just kill them all. So the baby's the problem. The baby suffers, not the person who's out using that as birth control. That's sad, guys. That is a sad, sad deal. Here's a few of those. Expecting life to be fair. Jesus is fair. But this world is not fair. Expecting only the guilty to be punished. Expecting Christians to be mature all of the time. Or something a little more common to Christians, expecting the Lord to be something that He is not. How could God allow bad things to happen to good people? I go to church. He's a loving God. He would never do that. It's because we don't know the character of God. A lot of people see him as this some kind of a magic genie. 
You know, you do the right thing, he's just going to bless you no matter whether you sin or whether you don't sin, whether it's right or whether it's wrong. God's a good God, so therefore God's going to overlook everything. We don't even apply that to parents, do we? They don't overlook everything. Even if they lo- they're loving and kind and graceful, they still need to be parents, right? So it's this deception by misconception that we're going to address first. So look at verse 1 of chapter 11. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me. For I am jealous of you with godly jealousy. For I have promised you marriage. I've married you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. I'm jealous of you. How can God be jealous? Isn't jealousy a human trait? Does that not bring God down to a base level? We will all admit that jealousy has brought much misery to the human race, right? Cain and Abel. Joseph, his brother, sold him into slavery. Saul tried to kill David. The disciples were jealous of the man who cast out devils in Jesus' name. The scribes and the Pharisees were jealous of Jesus. Throughout the Bible, we read of the destruction and the murder caused by jealousy. So can there be a good side to it? And yet the Lord says in Exodus 34, 14, He says, For you shall worship no other god, For the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. You guys heard me say last week that I think a little bit of that is the proper response. If your children do something they shouldn't do and they know it and you know it's wrong, Why do you respond with a certain amount of correction? Because you love them. And because you love them, in a sense, you're a little jealous of them. You don't want the world taking them away. You don't want them believing the lies of the enemy. A husband and a wife. This can get out of hand. The jealousy can get out of hand. But don't you want your husband to be just a little, just maybe a tiny bit, show a little bit of concern if some guy flirts with you? Or do you want him to just go, I don't care? (laughs) Doesn't that devalue you a, a little bit? I think we get the idea on that. In fact, the Lord makes... A statement about this jealousy, this kind of jealousy, the good kind of jealousy in over 10 verses. So what is the jealousy of God? First of all, the Bible reassures us of the impeccable character of God. Okay, so when a word comes up and we're going, how does that, we already know that God's perfect. That God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't sin. So we have to figure out that means something that already falls into his character. You guys are going to hear lots of stuff. I mean, you can turn on the TV and the radio and hear radio and TV preachers from anywhere, everywhere, all of the time. But can you tell when it's the truth or a lie? Can you tell when it's, it's biblical? Does it line up with the character of God or is it just something that you go, ah, 
I don't know. I don't think, I don't, this, this just doesn't sit right with me. The character of God reassures us that he is not like this world system. Why? Because he's morally just. He's morally just. He's totally pure and holy and therefore jealousy must conform to the same holy character of God that we already know he is. The jealousy of God is rooted in a tenderness and a passion in the heart of God for the good of his people, for the good of his kids. You hear people say God loves you, but he does. He proved that by sending his son to the cross for you. While we were yet sinners, not when we cleaned up. Oh, well, this one's cleaned up now. I will send Jesus. Now, when we were in the middle of our filth and our garbage, garbage, he sent his son to the cross for us. Lord knows that happiness without holiness is impossible. Oh, pastor, what do you mean by happiness without holiness? Now, when I say holiness, what do you think? A monk sitting on a mountain or a hill somewhere doing the... What do you you think? When I say holiness, what do you think? When we're supposed to be holy, what do you think? What kind of vision goes across your head? Well, holiness is in Him. We're not. Okay, so here's the, here's the life source. Here's the lifeblood. Here's the fire, the dynamite, the Holy Spirit, the dunamis. We're people. Flawed, imperfect. And the only way we receive and can get and stay in that holiness is the closer we sit to Jesus. That's where it comes from. Remember I said already, we're not meant to walk this walk without that closeness to Jesus Christ. Because you know what will happen? We'll be that crying baby again. We're going to go back to what we know. We're going to do the things we were so trained in throughout our life. Because that's the world that we lived in. Holiness is impossible without Jesus. But it's not what you think. It's not set up by a bunch of hoops and hurdles. It's not like, now this is a good thing, but I'm just using it as an illustration. It's not like, well, I get up at five o'clock in the morning and I spend an hour in prayer. But do you love it or do you hate it? You see, God always looks at the heart. Well, I spend five hours a day reading the Word of God. But do you love it? Is that motivated out of love or is it just a have to? Well, I go to church every Sunday. Yeah, but do you complain the whole time? You see, again, that is not possible to have what we need unless we allow Jesus Christ into our life. And I'm convinced there are some folks here this morning that if anybody asked you, you would say you're Christian. If anybody asked you, you would say you love Jesus. But I'm convinced there's got to be some of us here this morning that he's wanting you to take another step in and you're refusing to do it. Just come, come in, come in closer. And whatever fear there is keeping you from stepping in, it's, it's a deception by misconception. 
If I make that step, God's going to, what? Fill in the blank. You fill it in. Give up my friends. Make me do this. Make me do that. That's a misconception of who God is. He is a loving father. Now, because of all this, he jealously guards the costly relationship that he has with his kids. Don't you? If you have children, don't you guard that relationship that you have with those kids? Wouldn't you do just about anything for them as long as it wasn't destructive or hurtful? Wouldn't you even give up your own life for the sake of the child? Probably. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He gave up his life for his kids. The, the, excuse me, the Lord is jealous because he knows that anyone or anything that takes our eyes off of the cross messes with our relationship with him. You guys that have raised kids, you realize that at about what? Realistically, maybe 13, 12 they start taking their eyes off of Jesus. It almost breaks your heart, doesn't it? You know, they're first born, it's mommy and daddy, you're the heroes, and then, you know, school and everything else, and then all of a sudden at about 12, maybe 13, or two, I don't know, it depends on the kid. But they start getting their eyes on what's out there, the glitter, the glitz. What's, what's on TV? It's not the average person. And tonight, our guest star is the average person in Phoenix. They have average looks. They've done average things. No. It's the star. It's the one that looks amazing, the one that talks amazing, the one that has succeeded, has succeeded amazingly. So they start looking at that and they're drawn away by it. And it's very, very difficult for Christian kids because we've protected them. We've tried to keep them safe. So they have no reference point. You lived in that world. You have a reference point. You know what it's like to vomit the next day after being sick and out drunk and doing whatever you do. Or having an addiction you couldn't kick for years and years and years. You know what it's like to be abused. You had a reference point. So when you saw the goodness of Jesus, it was like no choice. I'm going with Jesus. But they've had it good in your house because Jesus has been the Lord of your life and the Lord of your family. They have no reference point and they start seeing all this other stuff and they're going, that's what I want. I want to go try that out. And your heart breaks because you lose them for a while. Satan is pretty tricky. Man's jealousy has always been motivated out of self-love, but not God's. In John 3, 16 and 17, you guys could even quote this one with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be what? Might be saved. He put it, he put it all there like a good parent does. And that jealousy that we're talking about is not the kind the world has. It's a completely different kind of thing. 
God's holy jealousy let those who betrayed him kill him. What do you think about that? That's love for you. That's love for me. For those that are his kids, that's the kind of love he had. He let them beat him almost to death. They let him, they let him, he let them kill them. And then what did he say? Father, forgive them because they have no clue. Well, I changed it a little bit there, but, but it's true. Okay, so that brings us, I want to show you a little bit of the jealousy of Paul. Paul used to have a different kind of jealousy, the Apostle Paul. It was the type that compelled him to guard his position as a Pharisee and to persecute Christians to the point of death. His life was warped and twisted and self-centered, and that's what happens when we pursue the world. Whether it's position, power, money, they seem to all kind of get interwoven. And I think we see an awful lot of that worldwide today with no concern about you, us, whether we can put gas in the car, whether we can eat, whether our children will eat. During the COVID thing, some of you guys lost parents or grandparents and you couldn't even go say goodbye. I could get off on a tangent here, so I'm not going to. Paul's life was warped. Paul's life was twisted and it was self-centered. He was so confused by the deception of misconception that Christ shook his whole theological foundation. Remember, he was on a mission from God, right? He thought he was doing God a favor. He thought that this sect this wild-haired Christian thing with John the Baptist out eating wild honey and locusts and weirdo. John was a weirdo. Let's just face it, he was. But God sent him to attract attention so he could tell them about Jesus, tell them about the Messiah. Paul looked at that and he looked at all the other evidence and he goes, I need to put a a silence to this because it's going to destroy the religious status quo as we know it. The scribes and the Pharisees, if people keep listening to this, they're not going to listen to the scribes and the Pharisees. So he thought he was doing the right thing. I, I won't even ask for a show of hands, but how many of you thought you were living your life the right way and then all of a sudden one day you were confronted with something and you go, man, I have been messing up. I have been messing up. I thought I was making good decisions, but I haven't been in touch with the decision maker. And you look back at the death and destruction of our lives. He was so sure he knew God, but when he was confronted by God, he didn't know who he was. Let me give you that out of Acts 9, 5. He was on the road to Damascus doing his thing. The Lord interrupted him, knocked him off his donkey or his feet, or we're not sure there, but he says, who are you, Lord? This was God, no doubt. This was God working in his life, and he said back to the Lord, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. 
It's hard for you to kick against the goads. In other words, the goad was that stick they would use to poke the back of the animals to get them to move forward. He says, you're kicking against that. You're kicking against me. You think you're doing a a, a great job and a great thing here, but you're actually kicking against me. You're fighting against me. Guys, some of us are fighting against Jesus, and we can't win that. Am I fighting against Jesus? Don't, don't think that we as Christians can't. Oh, we can. Something happening with one of our kids, and we know our kid's at fault. What do we do? We go to that school board meeting, and we give that teacher what for? We put them in sports games where everybody gets a trophy. Got a trophy, little Johnny got a trophy. Little Johnny sat on the bench all year long. You need to put him in something else that he's good at because he's not any good at this, but he got a trophy. Oh gosh. Sometimes we're fighting against the Lord. Paul believed that everything that his peers told him was the truth, but it wasn't, it was a lie. But now, here he is, he burns with a godly jealousy. Why does he burn with a godly jealousy? Because he loves the church in Corinth. He wants to do what's right in life. His whole purpose in life has changed. Paul had introduced those Corinthians to a a charming, wonderful person, and a marriage had taken place. A marriage had taken place. They had entered into that agreement with the Lord of Lords. And in a marriage, we agree to keep ourselves spotless for that other person in that marriage. Separated from the affections of other admirers, totally devoted to each other. Now, we can't help if somebody else thinks you're attractive. But how we respond to that is everything. Everything. Paul knew that there was a seduction taking place in Corinth. He knew there was willful intention of someone trying to deceive for selfish gain, and that's what brings us to this second deception. And that's deception by transformation. Deception by transformation, 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, 11, 3 and 4. But I fear, least somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Simplicity. I love that. I'm a simple person. The simplicity that is ours in Christ. It, God has made it simple if we depend on him. If we don't depend on him, it's not going to be so simple. The simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, what Jesus? Or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received from them, of course, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. In other words, if people come in telling you, tickling your ear, telling you what you want to hear, you guys accept it. You're all about it. You think it's wonderful. There are teachers out there, guys, that will just tell you what you want to hear. They're motivational speakers. They're not pastors. 
doesn't matter what title they have or what they're called, they're motivational speakers. They're just to, to pump you up and make you feel good. Because if you feel good, you'll fill the seats. If you fill the seats, you'll fill the coffers. That's what Paul's saying. He says, you guys are so willing to bring somebody in that just puffs you up. But if somebody's teaching a Jesus other than the one we taught, well, how do we know who that one is? Well, he's pretty well described in here. His character is pretty well defined in here. So this is how we know who he is. And even in those quiet times when he's softly speaking to you, to your heart, telling you this and telling you that and reassuring you of his love, that's how we know who that Jesus is. We've got to be careful because even though we've grown up, we still like the sparkly, shiny things. We still like entertainment. We still like the choreography. We still like the show. So we have to be careful that we don't interpret the show as something spiritual because it might not be spiritual at all. Or if it is spiritual, it might be from another source. Okay? Okay, so he says, in look at uh, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. For such are, what, false apostles deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ and no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into a what? A little red suit with pointy tail and pitchfork? Angels of light. Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. That boyfriend may be from hell. That girlfriend may be from hell. Now you're going, oh no, they're nice people. Well, you understand what I'm trying to say. Sent by. Sent by evil forces. To take you down. To get you to do something you wouldn't normally do. To put a yoke around your neck and cause you to be his slave for the rest of your life. Verse 15, therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. What? Ministers of righteousness? Where would ministers of righteousness hang out? Yep. They're not going to hang out, well... Let's go on. Ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their flesh. Alan Redpath said this. He said, before there was rebellion on earth, there was a revolt in heaven. Isaiah 14 verses 13 through 15 says, for you have said in your heart. Now this is speaking about Lucifer. Right? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Satan, I will be like God. I will be this. What was the lie he told Eve in the garden? God doesn't want you to eat from that tree because the day that you eat thereof, you will become like him. You'll know all of his secrets. 
And everybody, not everybody, a lot of people today want to be little gods. In control of their destiny, in control of this and in control of that. But I'll tell you what, folks, left to our own devices, we always go back to the crying baby. We yell loud enough to get our needs met. So Satan stepped into human history, excuse me, as a serpent pretending to be a friend of humanity, all the while with the purpose of teaching mankind how to be self-centered, self-sufficient, and independent of God. And you know what? He was 100% successful. Wow. We're all born into this world. Scripture tells us that the God of this world has blinded people so that they can't see who God really is. That's the system we were born into. 1 John 5.19 says, the whole world lies under the way, the sway of the wicked one. The whole world. Now you're going to find out as Christians you don't. But if you're not born again, this world, we still live in this world. And it lies under the sway of the wicked one. The revised version puts it this way. He holds the world unconscious in his arms. <laughs> you guys remember what it was like when your mom would carry you to bed? And your mom or your dad, you were little and they'd fall asleep. And your mom and dad would carry you to bed. You're like, <clears throat> you know, she's carrying you to put you down. Unconscious of what's going on. Someone's carrying you away. And you're unconscious. Boy, there's a lot of that going on these days, isn't there? Unconscious. Unconscious. Second Corinthians 4 4 says, Whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. Least the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. That separates us. Those who have had and let the glory of God shine upon them through accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we don't have to live this way. We can see the difference. The veil's been withdrawn. We can see the evil that's there. But maybe we have a brother or a mom or a dad or somebody that we care a great deal about. They can't, they, they can't get, they don't see it because they can't see behind this evil veil. That's the victory that Satan won in the garden. And you can count on the nature of man to be selfish. And because of that, manipulable. Is that a word? I went to Peoria High School, so I... You know. <laughs> I believe it's a word. 2,000 years ago, Jesus faced him. You can kind of, uh, kind of look at this as the two Westerners, you know, where the gun draw. They're walking down the old Westerns. And, you know, whoever's the fastest draw. Jesus beat him. Jesus faced him at the cross and he stripped him of all of his principalities, all of his powers, and he made him an open show of his deceptions to us. To the born again Christian, but state, Satan is still saying what he said in the God in the garden. God is a liar. Believe me and yield to my life principles of self-existence and self-sufficiency, and I will give you life and knowledge. He'll give you anything. He'll let you rise to the top. He'll let you win the things and become world known. 
and maybe even rich. But Jesus says, believe in Satan and you'll die. Believe on me and you'll be saved. And eternity hangs in that decision. Now you might be saying, Pastor, you're being a little overly dramatic. No, I'm not. This is exactly what the Bible tells us is going to happen. If we don't accept Jesus Christ, we're going to be separated from God for eternity. But Jesus says, if you believe on me, you'll be saved. So it is an eternal decision. Satan will do everything in his power to keep someone from making that decision for Jesus Christ. He'll do everything within his power to destroy the testimony of anyone who has already made that decision, guys. So that way, when we wake up in the morning, we realize there's a war. He'll do anything he can to destroy your testimony. And lying can be a part of that. Deceiving ourselves can be a big, strong part of that. You see, total destruction would defeat his purposes. He doesn't want to just kill you because then you're not a fighter anymore. He wants us to keep us alive and compromised because if he can keep us alive and compromised, then our testimony means nothing and people who see us and see the way we walk, they go, I don't want any part of that. That's just hypocrisy at its fullest All right, here's the last one, deceptive transformation. And I'm almost done here. The devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, 1 Peter 5.8. That roaring lion is Satan. So guys, it's a war. Please don't don't mistake this. I saw a little short or a video the other day when these guys are in Africa and they're on some kind of a hunt or just tour and, and they're in this open truck, right? Everybody's sitting around the open truck and this lion just kind of walks by him real casually, right? And they're all taking pictures. Well, the lion gets part way back and then he turns around the other way and he jumps in there and I guess one or two of the people were killed because of that. That's, <laughs> that's the enemy. That's the enemy. That's the way he works. John Bunyan describes Satan like this, a monster Hideous to behold, clothed with scales like a fish, wings like a dragon, feet like a bear, and out of his belly came fire and smoke. His mouth was as the mouth of a lion. So no no matter how pretty, no matter how good looking, no matter how much maybe the flesh says, you need this, you got to look beyond it. got to look beyond it. There's a few basic qualifications. Are they a born-again Christian? And now our kids used to say, well, they go to church. Well, no, that's, <laughs> that's not the same. That's not the same. A lot of people say they're, they're Christian. You go to the Midwest farming country, everybody's a good old boy Christian, right? Everybody's Christian, the Bible Belt. But that's not enough. Are they faithful in their church? Do they serve at the church? How long have they been a Christian? Look a little deeper than the flesh. Find out if this is something you want to live with for the next 40, 50 years. Is it someone who's going to stand beside you and support you in your walk with Jesus Christ? Or are they going to say and give you promises that you know they're not going to fulfill, but you're overcome by the beauty 
And they'll tell you anything and then the first month they're not going to church with you anymore. Revelation 12, verse 7. And a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. In verse 9, so the great dragon was cast out. The serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast into the earth. Cast into the earth. Our world. He was cast into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. In verse 13, now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. He owns this world. God's let him have a certain amount of dominion over this world. So what chance do we have? Every chance. That's what the cross is about. That's why he gave Jesus. That's what separates us. That's what gets us out of this is our belief in Jesus Christ. There are times Satan will come undisguised, full force, ready to try and destroy, but that's usually when he knows that fear will be the most effective tool. But a lot of times he's just the boy next door or the girl next door. He has clever devices. What are those devices? Ephesians calls them the wiles of the devil. Timothy calls them the snares or traps. Here's some of those traps, and then I'll close up. False teaching. 2 Corinthians 11.4, again, for if he comes preaching a Jesus that we didn't preach, or having a different spirit than you received, or a different gospel, don't be a part of it. Doesn't matter how flashy it is. Don't be a part of it. He is religious. Remember, Satan knows God. He knows the Bible. He will distort it, but he knows the Bible. Right? Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said to you, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Didn't God tell you you could eat of all the trees? And the woman said to the serpent, Yeah, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, Do not eat, nor even, what? Touch it. Don't even touch it, lest you die. He meant spiritually. He meant spiritually. You get into this, you give over control. Then the serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die. For God knows that in that day that you eat it, eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. You will know good from evil. Don't you wish you didn't know evil at all? Satan tempted Jesus, brought him to Jerusalem, set him up on the pinnacle. And he told him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here because it's written in God's word that he shall give you his angels charge over you and he will lift you up and you won't even dash your foot against a stone. That's the kind of promises he's going to make to us. But he was misquoting the word of God, wasn't he? He was appealing to Jesus and thought Jesus was going to be having a flesh in him that he could get him to succumb to his wiles, to his deceptions. 
But Jesus didn't fall for it. You know, Alan Redpath says this. He suggests that we go to the Lord and say, Lord, let the devil loose on my life. (laughs) Whoa. I'm not recommending that. But I want you to think of why Redpath said it. Because it causes us to be dependent upon Jesus. We all want easy lives. Even Christians, we like everything wrapped up in a nice little package with a bow on it. We don't like it when it's messy. But as I said last week, Christians are messy. Church is messy. It's an emergency room. Broken, hurting people. And Satan will try to mess with your conscience. What do I mean by that? Well, there's this thing called the Holy Spirit that tells you what's right and wrong. But if you do what's wrong enough and tell the Holy Spirit to take a hike, your conscience will be seared over like when you get a burn and you can't feel anything on that, underneath that burn anymore. Because we're so used to doing what is wrong, we're not even, we're immune to it. We just continue to do what is wrong. The world, you know, if it feels good, it's got to be, it's got to be the Lord. I'm going to read this to you and I'm going to close. A school teacher lost her life savings in a business scheme that had been elaborately planned and explained by, by a swindler. When her investment disappeared and her dreams were shattered, she went to the Better Business Bureau. Better Business Bureau said, why on earth didn't you come to us first? Did you not know about the Better Business Bureau? And she goes, oh, yes, I knew. But I've always known about you guys, but I didn't come because I was afraid you would tell me not to do it. (laughs) That's our nature. I want this so bad. I want this so bad that, God, I don't care if it's your will or not. Well, we do. We don't say that. We don't say that. But we're going to plow through it and we're going to go ahead and and do it whether God wants us to or not because we want it so bad. Guys, there's more here, but I'm going to close it at this. Keep it simple. Trust in the Lord with everything you got and let the work be done through Him And remember the price that he paid to show us that he loves us. So when the enemy is trying to come in and tell you that you are not going to get this because God doesn't love you, or God took that away from you because you've been a bad person, we've got to change our outlook on that. We have to realize that maybe it didn't happen because God knows what's best. Romans 8, 28. In 29, all things work together for the good of those who love Jesus, to put it simple. So if I don't get something I want, maybe it's because God knows it will destroy me, that it would hurt me or hurt my family. Maybe I'm just not built for it. So rather than shaking my hand to God and going, why haven't you done this in my life? Why haven't you done that in my life? Let's just turn it over to a loving Father that knows what's best to do. And again, I'll use the same 
illustration I've used in the past. We need to be like, you know, that little boy holding on to his mom or dad's hand at an intersection. The semi is coming, the cars are coming. That little boy doesn't know a semi from a car. He doesn't know or completely understand what all those lights are about and how it traffic works. He doesn't know any of that. He just knows that if he holds on to the hand of his dad or his mom, they're going to lead him across that road and it's going to be safe. Why? Because dad loves him. Because mom loves him. 